Welcome to Policy Outsider. I'm Alex Morris. Tuesday, November 2nd, was Election Day, and voters across New York State had the opportunity to vote for select local races. Voters were also tasked with weighing several proposals ranging from redistricting amendments, expanding voter rights, and what we'll focus on today, a constitutional amendment guaranteeing environmental protections for New Yorkers. This past July, student interns at the Rockefeller Institute's Center for Law and Policy Solutions investigated what's commonly referred to as Green Amendments and prepared a report titled The Precedent and Potential of State Green Amendments, which details what Green Amendments are and ways they can influence and affect environmental policy. Building on the report and offering a preview of the New York State proposal, the Rockefeller Institute recently published New York's Potential Green Amendment, a primer. Now that the amendment is passed, achieving over 60% of the vote, we've invited one of the follow-up pieces authors, Laura Rabinow, to analyze the proposal and discuss its implications for New York State and its residents now and moving forward. Coming up next. Here with me today is Laura Rabinow, Deputy Director of Research for the Rockefeller Institute. Thank you for joining us today, Laura. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. Uh, or should I say us, there's a chance that you'll hear my infant daughter in the background, just in case listeners hear some noise. Well, maybe you and your newborn will help us discuss what we're here to talk about today, which is the New York State Green Amendment. And as we heard at the top of the episode, New York voters passed the constitutional amendment guaranteeing environmental protections for New York residents. Now that the vote is tallied and officially passed, we'd like to ask you some questions about state green amendments, beginning broadly with what are they and what do they do? Broadly speaking, green amendments are constitutional provisions that guarantee a right, an environmental right, and are located within the Bill of Rights of state constitutions. Now, those tend to focus on broad things rather than more specific ones, that is clean air, clean water. Uh, In New York's case, the now passed amendment uh, would ensure that each person shall have a right to clean air, water, and a healthful environment. So fundamentally, what does that mean? Can you elaborate on what individuals and communities can do to address environmental concerns? Green amendments work in a couple of different ways. Let's say preemptively and perhaps in a more reactive mode. Um, Preemptively, they can shape the way that laws and regulations are put in place, worded, interpreted, and implemented within a state, right? So we hope that legislators or regulators or those applying for permits know that this exists, that this is a, these are rights to be protected, and that their actions are then shaped around acknowledging those rights. On the other side of things, when communities, individuals, uh, residents in New York or in other states where these amendments exist, 
feel that their rights have not been protected or upheld, this gives them standing to bring a case in order to either prevent the continuation of those rights from being transgressed and to seek corrective action. So this green state amendment or state green amendment rather gives folks standing so they might be able to address environmental concerns or rights that they think are are being impeded on. Um, what's the difference between having this in the constitution versus having regulatory laws that exist, right? The, the Department of Environmental Conservation has to review permits for you know different types of projects that concern the environment. So what does this amendment do to preempt or, or maybe fill in the gaps that other regulatory agencies try to enforce? Right. So locating it within a bill of rights in our constitution uh, ensures that this applies broadly across New York state and to residents as a whole. As I noted, it gives them standing or potentially gives them standing to bring a case Short of that, they would not necessarily have the ability in a number of cases to bring this to a court of law. Um, And so this really elevates those rights alongside other fundamental rights that we see a need to protect, like freedom of speech. Okay, so despite there being maybe some regulatory laws or enforcement, what this constitutional amendment will do is allow residents, you and I, others, uh, maybe advocacy organizations or different types of businesses to have their case heard in front of a court. That's right. The court could decide that they don't have standing as we've seen in other states. And we can we can talk about that a little bit more. Um, what happened in Pennsylvania following their Green Amendment was that the court came up with a a three-part test to determine whether or not groups or residents had standing. And that really significantly narrowed who could bring a case for several decades following the amendment's passage. That has since shifted. Um, But again, we would assume that this will then be taken to the courts to further delineate exactly how this language is going to be interpreted and used in New York State. Yeah, let's stay on that course of what's gone on in other states. So there have been two different states that already have state green amendments in their constitutions. Uh, could you let us know who those are? Sure. Both Pennsylvania and Montana in the early 1970s passed green amendments into their state constitutions. Pennsylvania was the first. Um, that was then taken to the courts. uh, And in a very important 1973 decision, Cain v. Kassab, the court set up a three-part test, as I just noted, um, basically to determine whether or not people could even bring cases to enforce their environmental rights under the state's Green Amendment. As a result of that three-part test, many cases, Uh, it was determined that they did not have standing. Something like 23 out of 24 cases brought um, did not meet that criteria. And therefore, for the next few decades, the Green Amendment did not really give standing to 
the vast amount of residents and cases that were brought forward. The precedent from the 1973 case in Pennsylvania is then shifted beginning in 2013 with another precedent setting case, Robinson Township v. Commonwealth, in which Act 13 in Pennsylvania, a law that was passed to, among other things, require that local governments permit natural gas development, uh, that was brought to the court as unconstitutional under the state's Green Amendment. It doesn't totally overturn that, but it does find that parts of it are unconstitutional in that case because of the Green Amendment. Uh, and then there's a subsequent case after that that more fully finds that it's unconstitutional. So those are important steps in terms of understanding how this amendment has come to more strongly enforce environmental rights over time because of how the courts have treated it. So to quickly summarize that, in 2013, this is Pennsylvania, they passed a law that would require localities to permit natural gas projects. Correct. But because of the constitutional Green Amendment in past, what was it, 1972? 1971. 1971, it preempts that law that was passed in 2013. So there's a lot of, from an environmentalist perspective, there's a lot of value in having that constitutional amendment. Yes. Depending on how the courts end up treating it, there can be a lot of value in terms of per providing protection for environmental rights. Now, we also talked a little bit about what it means to give standing and how the courts might interpret standing. What could some of the consequences of this state green amendment be? Could it involve more litigious action in New York state? I think in the short term, we're likely to see some probably strategic choices by advocates and residents about what cases to bring forward. So in the short term, there are likely to be some cases. And by short term, I mean like five, the order of five years. In the longer term, it's hard to say. If we look to Pennsylvania and Montana as models, they're not states we'd normally compare to New York in a lot of ways, but they're the only other two with this amendment. And so that's what we have to go on here as a, a cursory indicator of what might or might not happen. In both of those cases, because of early precedents set by the court, we didn't see a, an overwhelming amount of litigation or costs in the first several decades that this amendment existed. We have seen those shifts that I noted more recently in terms of how the courts are treating the amendment. And so that may change a little bit uh, moving forward, but it has not been the case as of yet. And so we wouldn't expect in the long term for that to be the case in New York. Are there any other arguments from opponents about you know, what this amendment could yield? Some of the concerns are about cost to businesses um, and ag around agriculture. 
those are harder to parse out and to understand exactly how those might be built in over time. It's possible that as this is enforced, if it's enforced the way proponents hope, uh, that our laws may as a whole require more things of any entity going through a permitting process. They may be required to meet a higher standard, for example, in terms of emissions. Those steps might have underlying costs, but those will be very hard to delineate as part of the results of the Green Amendment or part of how our laws are, are shaped as a whole moving forward. We just covered some of the challenges that an amendment, a Green Amendment might have for a given state. Have there been examples of successes or advantages of having this amendment in the Constitution? We talked about Pennsylvania uh, and the locality preemption. Is there any others? I think that that's an important one because it meant that towns, villages, cities did not have to allow for a practice they felt was harmful to their residents, in that case, fracking. In other cases, it's been used to contest the practice of gold mining and other kinds of environmental resource uh, extraction that could have negative impacts on the communities that surround them. So that's particularly important when we look at this through a lens of environmental justice concerns, because what we've we've seen is that those impacts are likely to be felt unevenly across communities and that those most vulnerable communities, those most marginalized are likely to feel them most. Um, and so this can be seen as a way to protect those most vulnerable communities from being further burdened by environmental harms. And so as you mentioned earlier, it's going to take time to really see how this amendment is going to impact New York. We've only seen it impact Pennsylvania and Montana, really only a little bit. It hasn't over the last decade, over the last decade. So it'll take some time to really measure the effects. So New York has now become the third state to have a state green amendment. Is there any other action or any other states considering similar action? Yes, there are. So building off that 2013 court case in Pennsylvania, advocates have really pushed for the introduction of similar amendments across a number of states. There are now 10 states in which legislation has been introduced, though New York is the only of those to newly introduce legislation that has passed it and uh, had it taken up by public referendum. And so given the other states proposed amendments, what does New York's vote passing the state amendment or the constitutional amendment, what does that indicate? I think looking at the new introduction into a number of states, the now passage of New York, it's promising, but not definitive, right? I think we'll have to wait and see for the next couple of states who take this up, if there seems to be momentum built off of New York's passage, in that case, we could see a larger wave of green amendments. Right now, it's a little early to say. 
Okay, so we'll task you with monitoring what happens in the other states, Laura, and you'll, we'll have you back on to tell us how this all plays out. Uh, so sticking with the theme of environmental sustainability, what are some other initiatives specific to New York are advocates and proponents trying to advance? As folks in New York may be aware, we, in the last few years, we passed the Climate and Community Protection Act, the CLCPA. That was a, a landmark piece of legislation that sets out a number of climate and energy goals for the states and kind of helps us build a roadmap to get there. That's being implemented now. A lot of certainly environmental advocates uh, and communities are now advocating for a funding component to that, known as the Climate and Community Investment Act. So that's something that we may see uh, talked about quite a bit. We also have on the table uh, an Environmental Bond Act that will be coming up in the next year for public referendum that was supposed to be voted on earlier, but got pushed out uh, I think largely in the context of the pandemic uh, and all of these other moving pieces. Uh, so that's something that will be on our docket to look, look forward to over the next legislative session. So New Yorkers, voters, are going to have another chance in 2022 to vote on another environmental referendum, the, the Bond Act. That's correct. Yes, it, it's a multi-billion dollar Bond Act that will fund investments in a number of pieces such as uh, clean water and water infrastructure, uh, as well as a number of climate related measures so that communities can put in place resiliency measures uh, in order to help us adapt to our changing climate. We'll have to see how voters take that up in the context of the broader budget of New York, but certainly that piece along with the pending federal infrastructure bill will have a lot to say about how our infrastructure across New York State looks over the next couple of decades. Thanks again to Laura Rabinow for joining us to talk about New York's state green amendment and what researchers and policymakers will need to look out for to monitor the impact and effect of the constitutional amendment. As Laura noted, while only three states officially have a state green amendment, many more states are considering them. And so monitoring the effects of New York's amendment may inform other states how to proceed or if they should at all. I encourage you to check out the Institute's pieces on state green amendments, including the recent blog, New York's Potential Green Amendment, and the CLPS report, The Precedence and Potential of State Green Amendments, by visiting our website at rockinst.org. Special thanks to the 2021 CLPS cohort, Genevieve Bombard, Joshua Kebzinski, Sammy Matland, Catherine Reed, MRA Roquet, and Hoshi Sasido for taking a first look at the state green amendments for the Institute. An additional thanks to Joel Torado, Heather Trella, and Laura Schultz for their contributions to this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Alex Morris. Until next time.
Policy Outsider is presented by the Rockefeller Institute of Government, the public policy research arm of the State University of New York. The Institute conducts cutting-edge, nonpartisan public policy research and analysis to inform lasting solutions to the challenges facing New York State and the nation. Learn more at rockinst.org or by following Rockefeller Inst, that's I-N-S-T, on social media. Have a question, comment, or idea? Email us at communications at rock.suny.edu.